This is our last official Soul Keeping Sunday. Some of you still have some small groups to attend. Um, but this is the last Sunday that we're going to officially be looking at this material, although I believe, for me, this material has um, done a lot in my heart, my soul, and in my mind. So you'll be hearing about it some more as it continues to percolate uh, in me and hopefully through each other. Uh, but this is the last Sunday that my sermon is deliberately focused on this particular uh, time, uh, this particular study. And for this week, I've chosen Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, much shorter uh, portion of Scripture than I usually use. wonder if that means a much shorter sermon. <laughs> Hear these words from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In this passage, it's vital to understand, and with every passage truly, it's vital to understand where it fits in the context of what the writer of the author of Scripture is trying to say, what God is saying through this. And uh, this is the very first verses of uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 follows Hebrews chapter 11. That's how they make it work. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 is the long list of the faithful through the Old Testament, people who were faithful to God in the midst of adversity, people who had whole lives to live, and some of what they did was not so good, and some of what they did was, was great because of their faithfulness. And then because, the writer says, of this great cloud of witnesses because of those who have gone before us and said, yes, you can be faithful to God even if you have flaws, even if you're not perfect, you can remain faithful to God and do great things for God's kingdom. And then as we follow this passage, and I already preached on that section of Hebrews 12 uh, a number of months ago, uh, it speaks about God's discipline, God's correction, God's chastening of God's sons and daughters, so that we become more able to be the people that God created us to be. So here, we're looking at right between those two. So we expect to see ways to be faithful, and we expect to see that this faithfulness will not always be easy, and that is indeed what we see. First, I want to talk about what it means to be strong, what it means to have a strong soul, because it is the soul that we've been looking at through this series. It's the soul that we hope to make stronger, and the soul, of course, is that integrating part of ourselves that brings everything together, and it brings everything together in relationship to God, and our relationship with God then makes all the rest of us fit into place. But it's not, doesn't come naturally 
for us to feed our souls. The illustration John Ortberg, who wrote this curriculum, uses at the very beginning of the curriculum is that, and I've probably mentioned it half the sermons I've, I've preached on this, uh, speaks of a, a spring that opens up to a stream that flows into a village. And that, that stream nourishes the village. It gives the village the clean water that the village needs. And there is a soul or a spring keeper at the top of this uh, mountain where the, where the spring is, and that keeper keeps everything clean so the water remains fresh and usable. It's the same way with our souls. If that keeper were not there, the, the water would get dirty. The water would become contaminated. It would make people sick rather than nourish them. Our souls also need to be constantly cleaned, needs to be con constantly monitored. Otherwise, our souls get sick, and that makes the rest of us sick. So what we're looking at is how to keep our souls healthy. first thing that the writer of Hebrews says to do is to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Runners often put weights on their ankles to train, to make their legs stronger, to, to make them better at running. But you never keep the weights on for the race because the weights hold you back. You take the weights off so you can run effectively. Steve Brown, a, a Presbyterian preacher in Florida, uh, tells the story of back when he was a, before he was a pastor, he was a young rebel at age 13, and he and some friends decided to go swimming in a hotel pool uh, at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, they climbed over the fence, got to the pool, and were enjoying themselves when one of these friends decided to jump into the pool from a relatively high diving board and chose to put an inner tube around himself when he did this. When he jumped into the pool, the noise that was made by his body and that inner tube woke many of the hotel guests who started turning on their lights and people started flowing in to see what had happened in this hotel pool. Well, Steve Brown and his friends started running and jumped over the fence again that they had jumped into the pool. They jumped out of the pool area and were running away when they realized that their friend who had jumped into the pool wasn't with them. Steve Brown turned around and looked and saw his friend trying to jump over the fence with the inner tube still on. <laughs> he said... Get rid of that inner tube or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. There's a, there are a lot of things in our lives that, that we sort of hold on to that are weights around us. They don't allow us to feed our souls as well as we need to feed our souls. They don't allow us to be as strong as we need to be. And the writer of Hebrews said, put those away. Stop carrying around those weights. Maybe it's a weight of bitterness. Maybe it's a weight of anger. Maybe it's a weight of materialism that we, we say, I want to serve God, but I really want all my stuff to. Whatever it might be, put them away. Because you can't feed your soul what it truly needs, which is God's presence, if you're holding on to other things which crowd out God's presence. And then he says, and throw off the, the sin that so easily entangles us. And um, 1 Peter 2 
Sin wages war against our souls. So we think it's just a little thing, it's just a little sin, it's not a big deal, it doesn't really impact anybody else, nobody even knows about it, so what harm can it do? Or, as um, Ortberg was talking about last week, we, we say, well, you know, my sins are, they're understandable, really, because, you know, other people, they're not, they do bad things, and, and they irritate me, and it's right for me to be irritated because those people are irritating. And if someone is irritating, you have to be irritated, right? No. Throw off the sin whether it's something that everybody knows or something that nobody knows, because that sin blocks your relationship with God. That sin keeps you from making your soul or allowing your soul to be made healthy in Christ by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You're blocking the Holy Spirit from your life. Put it aside and then run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perseverance, struggling through challenges, being strong enough to choose to do the right thing when it's not easy. It's, I don't want to be too critical, but I wonder about our, our current culture. How well are we doing this? I think we've progressed just like the cartoons of my childhood said we would. Fred Flintstone couldn't get, make his car move unless his feet moved the car, right? Yabba dabba do. George Jetson, on the other hand, his car, if he pushed a button, would come to him, his space car, would come to him, open its own door, and he would get in, and then it would take him wherever he wants to go. Jetson's was a lot about ease of life and all the, the advances in technology that made life easier. And it was sort of a vision for us, oh, we can't wait till the day when life is easy. And yet, easy lives make weak people. There's a worker in a nursing home who was commenting about the difference as she sees as baby boomers get older and the World War II generation, what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, dies off. And she says, our whole culture is shifting. These baby boomers, they're so emotionally needy. Well, think about it. Is that generational trend turning around? I don't think so. Now, I am sort of a baby boomer, so I include myself in that, but I like to think that I'm younger than the average baby boomer. Uh, and then there are other generations under, under that. And the youngest generation is, unfortunately, by some being made even weaker. 
You've heard of the helicopter parents that hover over their kids to make sure everything goes right, to, to make sure that they make the right decisions, that they don't forget anything like a form that they have to return to school, or, or any, they make sure that they do everything they need to do to make the team. They might even hover over the teachers to make sure the teachers do the right thing for their kids. Now, th that, there's a new parenting style, or it's probably an old parenting style that they've now put a new name to, and that's called bull bulldozer parents. Have you heard of them? Bulldozer parents push away every obstacle that would ever get in their kid's way so that there's a clear path for them to follow, a clear path when the parent's right beside them, pushing aside anything that would hurt them, anything that would cause them grief. And it's understandable, is it not? It's a terrible thing. It's a, it's a heartbreaking thing to see a child cry, to see a child struggling. And we say, I don't want to see that. I want to help this child to feel good about him or herself. I want to help this child feel like they can do whatever they can do. And yet, by doing everything for them, what we're doing is making them not able to do as much as they could do. And studies have shown that in early childhood, very early childhood, there the brain is being formed and it is often formed through struggle, through challenges faced, through failure. And the brain is formed through those challenges so that it is able and the person is able as they mature to deal with challenges, to deal with failure, to move through the challenges of life and be a successful human being. And what are we doing if we're keeping the children from experiencing failure and challenge? You might have heard this illustration before. It's a wonderful one that's used a lot, the story or the, the facts about a butterfly emerging from its chrysalis. Have you ever watched it happen? It's a, an agonizing process. That butterfly pushes and pushes against that chrysalis, pushes its way out so that it then is free to fly. But it's not an easy thing. And there were some folks who decided, oh, well, this doesn't look easy. I don't want this butterfly to struggle, so I'm going to cut open the chrysalis very carefully so as not to damage the butterfly and let it be free. And you know what happens? It dies. It is not able to fly. It is not able to function. Because it is the very, God designed this, folks, it is the very struggle of pushing through that chrysalis, strengthening the wings so that the, the creature can fly, strengthening the, the creature so that it's able to function in the world that makes it strong enough to survive. It's the struggle that makes it strong. So when someone takes away the struggle, they take away the life. Now, we don't really like hearing that because we like ease, don't we? We like it when things aren't too challenging, and when a challenge comes to our life, it can derail us. But remember, those challenges also strengthen us. And that's what the 
following verses about God disciplining his children, God um, strengthening us through various things we have to go through, various challenges, makes us stronger to deal with the next challenge, makes our souls stronger so that we're able to be more faithful to God. And remember, as we're throwing off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, running with perseverance the race marked out for us, that we have one who has gone before, not just that great cloud of witnesses, but the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who was willing to suffer and struggle for us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, as it says here. And I love those words. You've heard me talk about the first word before, the pioneer or author of our faith, the archagos, which means hero, which means the one who goes ahead, who wins the battle, and then lets the community, lets the nation enjoy the victory. That's the word that's used for Jesus Christ here. He has won the victory for us. He sacrificed himself to win this war. And he's also the perfecter of our faith, the telos. And telos in Greek means end. He's the end of our faith. In other words, just like it says in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He has won the war he will bring it to completion, but does that, that does not mean that we are to be passive waiting for him to do this work. That does not mean that we just rest in the completed work of Christ and say, I'm okay now. I'll wait for heaven. And when I get to heaven, everything will be good. I'll be strong. It means working, living into that strength as God leads, as God um, accompanies us by the Holy Spirit, strengthening us by the Holy Spirit, we become the people that God is making us into. As I said a few times before, why would we think that we want to be with God for eternity when we're not willing to let God change us now? Why do we think we want to be the person that God is creating us to be, recreating us to be, when we're not willing to become ever more increasingly that person now? What we're saying is, yeah, I want those benefits, but I, I want to live in a worldly way now. Which, when we stand before God, we will realize how utterly foolish that was. And we will realize that we have robbed ourselves of so much that God had for us because we were unwilling to be strong. We were unwilling to persevere in our faith. I have a new bucket list item. Oh, I saw this video this week on Facebook. I don't know if any of you saw it, but it was of a couple, a young couple bungee jumping and they jumped off this big cliff into what looked like a bottomless pit um, just right in front of them with another rock wall on the other side, a rock wall on this side, a rock wall on this side, and they jumped off this cliff, and I thought, I looked at the comments to see what people would say because I expected them to say, no, not me. 
But one person said, if you want to make this a bucket list item, make it your last one, just in case. <laughs> I want to tell you what my last bucket list item is. My last bucket list item is to experience death as Dallas Willard did, or thought he might. He said, I'm not sure when I die how long it'll take me to realize it. What was he saying? He was saying that he experienced God in such a way that his whole heart and soul was in fellowship with God. He knew God's presence. He experienced God in such a deep way that when he stood then before God, he wasn't sure if he'd noticed the difference. Is that not a wonderful goal for our lives? To build our relationship with God so much in this life that, we, that when we enter the next life, it will just be a wonderful and more glorious continuation of a life with God that gives us meaning and purpose and life. You might want to consider making that your last bucket list item too. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we acknowledge the many, many things that hold us back from trusting you. The desire to be in control, the failure to trust in you, the things and relationships and um, status symbols that, that hold our hearts and our souls so that we are not able to give our hearts and souls more fully and completely to you. And we pray that you would give us, by your Holy Spirit, a vision, a vision of what it is to be yours, a vision of what it is to be in relationship with you such that you fill our souls, so that all of the, the emptiness inside of us is full, is filled. Because that you are the only way that that emptiness is filled. We were created to be in relationship with you. And without that relationship, we are emptied, empty. We are struggling and striving to fill what only you can fill. So we pray that you would work in us, that we would be more and more and more receptive to you. And Lord, we hesitate to pray this, and some may, in the silence of their hearts, refuse to pray this, but if there is discipline that needs to occur in our lives in order for us to be more open to you, if there is struggle ahead of us that will make us stronger, we're willing. Now, Lord, we thank you for your grace. And we pray, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would pour your grace into this room, that every heart 
will know your love. Well, every heart will know your mercy. Every heart will be filled by your Holy Spirit, pouring your love into us that we may grow in trust in your wonderful, glorious plans for us. Strengthen us then as individuals and as a church that we are faithful to your call upon us because what you have given to us in Jesus Christ is glorious, glorious beyond anything this earth has to give, and it deserves to be shared with the world around us, which is in such great need of your grace, your mercy, and your love. Help us to speak into the lives of people who have those voices in their head saying that they are not worthy, that they are not lovable. Help us to speak what you say, that they are loved, that they are valued. Let us be a lighthouse on a hill, demonstrating and telling of your great love. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.